Good morning. Let me just start by asking a question. Can you remember a time in your life, maybe one of those really uh, significant times where, where you needed you needed to trust God more than normal, more than the normal every day? Can you dial back in your mind when that was? No doubt if you're like me, there are many times when you had to do that, where you're just trusting at, at this other kind of place, this other level because you took a risk or because of some unknown factor that lies out ahead. Maybe your health was threatened or your finances were threatened or your success or your failure or your children or maybe a key relationship uh, is there teetering in the balance. There's something that you look back and you go, or maybe some are in that situation this morning, right now. Pertice and I, one of those times, we've had several in our life, but one of those was when we moved up here. We were pastoring a church in Arizona that we had planted. It was a wonderful church, wonderful people. We loved the people. We were near my family, so it was nice to have uh, grandparents in state. And, um, and, and yet we felt this call to move up here. Well, I had, I'd come to Spokane, checked it out, prayed over it, felt like it was what God was saying, talked to Tisa on the phone, and, and she said, yes, let's just move there. She had never been here, ever. And so we uh, got this Mongo uh, U-Haul, like, I don't know, what's the biggest one, 24 feet or something like that. And, and uh, Tisa drove that up here. And I hooked up this uh, travel trailer that someone in our church had given to us so that we'd have a house because we were moving up here with no friends, no family, no job, no church. And, uh, it, you know, it was kind of a risk. And so they thought that would be nice for you to have this older travel trailer that they had. And we hooked it up to the back of my 1970 Suburban. And we, I hauled that up here with one kid and she, she had the other kid in the U-Haul. And we just kind of made our way up to Spokane. Someone uh, knew of a contact in Deer Park who uh, managed and actually started Living Springs Ranch, and they allowed us to park on their land and store our stuff in their barn as we just kind of figured out our life here in Spokane. And so we went through that first year wondering, oftentimes, God, why did you do this? What did we do? Maybe it wasn't you at all, God. Maybe it was us. And we just found ourselves unemployed, uh, we found ourselves struggling at various times. We went through that ice storm of 96. That really gave us some doubts about this area. And, but it was just this huge season of time for both of us to have to trust God. And we were threatened, it felt like, every single week as to whether we were going to survive or not. You know, I thought, I loved you, God. I obeyed you. I, I thought I heard you. And, and why is it this one long uphill battle? This feels like a battle, even when you're trying to follow God. Maybe some of you this morning feel that way. You're trying to trust him. You're going through a difficult situation and you're wondering, God, where are you? Where are you? Well, we're going to hear some things today from Jesus and uh, we're going to see that his love matters. His love makes the difference. We're in a series in the gospel of John looking at the events leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And last week, we talked about the Lord's Supper. 
And we looked at that event and we saw where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. That out of his love for us, Jesus Christ, God's one and only son, came to this earth and served us and continues to serve and asks us to serve others because he loved us. So in his final hours is where we'll pick up the story today in John 14. His final hours, Judas had already left to go do the dirty deed of betraying Jesus. And he's now, Jesus is literally hours away from his death, from that brutal crucifixion. And he is trying to prepare his disciples emotionally for what is gonna, what they're going to go through. Not only are his disciples trying to uh, process the fact that Jesus is going to die and leave them, but they're also totally unaware of what that's going to do to them in their life, in their emotions, and the, the struggle and the trials that are going to come their way. And maybe you've experienced that. Someone tried to prepare you for something, but you couldn't really understand it until you were in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the struggle. Someone tried to prepare me for what it would be like to have kids, but it wasn't until I was there that I figured it out. They tried to prepare me for marriage. They tried to prepare me for being in ministry. They tried to prepare me for climbing Mount McKinley. They tried to prepare me for being a Christian. I mean, there are a lot of things that we get there and we go, oh, this is way bigger than I thought. This is way different than I thought. And Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for what they're going to encounter and the struggles that will be there. And he's trying to ground them in his love and ground them in some truths, some spiritual truths that can make the difference in the midst of of their struggle and when they feel lost and when they feel confused and when they feel even abandoned, that they would know some things that would prepare them. So that's what we're going to look at today. If you have a Bible, would you open it with me to John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. And here's, here's what Jesus said. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. See, this is what Jesus tells his disciples to hold on to when the fire gets turned up in their life, when they lose their bearings, when they feel like quitting, when they feel tempted to just fix the situation themselves. And we're, we've all been there, right? When you go through struggles and trials, it's very easy to try to control those situations or to medicate them through drugs, through prescription drugs, through alcohol, through, through pornography, through workaholism, through any number of things that we turn to when we're in the midst of problems and stress and trial and things aren't working out the way we expected. And that is the time when we'll either turn to ourself and turn to whatever this world has to offer to try and fix it or patch it in the moment, or whether we will turn to God. And Jesus is saying, don't let your hearts get overwhelmed with trouble. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, who is God? This chapter, chapter 14 of, of Gospel of John, does an excellent job explaining about God, about the fatherhood of God, and who the Son of God is, and who the Holy Spirit is. The triune God, three 
Three persons, yet one God. One God. And Jesus wants his disciples to know that this earth is not all there is. This earth is, heaven is real. Heaven is waiting. Heaven is something to look forward to. It's something to hope for. Something that will come one day. That heaven is awesome. Every tear will be wiped away. All things will be made right. Where God will judge the evil and he will have a heaven of people who love him and serve him. And where we live together in unity. See, in verse 2, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus wants us to know, wants you to know today, that when life gets hard, there's this place called heaven. There's this thing called eternal life where we don't have to struggle forever on this side of heaven that we will enjoy him. Bad things can happen to good people. But because we trust in God and we trust that he's preparing a place for us that we will one day spend eternity, I can trust him. I can trust his love and I can trust him in the midst of my difficulty. Now, Thomas, he's getting pretty excited hearing about heaven. And he asked Jesus this. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how will we know the way? How do we know how to get to heaven? Jesus comes back with one of the clearest declarations in scripture. Jesus answered. He said, I am the way. I'm the way and I'm the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, you want to get to this place? You want to be able to spend eternity with your father in heaven? This majestic place where you live forever? Here's how you get there. You get there through me. Through me. Jesus said, this is the way. Now, that's a pretty intense statement, isn't it? Because it's a statement of exclusivity. And, and, and people have trouble with that. I mean, let's be honest. Most people don't have trouble with hearing about miracles or eternal life or forgiveness of sin, the presence of God. But they have trouble going, there's one way to get there. It's through Jesus Christ. And, and so people struggle. And, and believing that and taking Jesus at his word sometimes will create some persecution in your life. That one religion is right, one is wrong. That one sacred scripture is right, and one is wrong. That one path to God is right, and others are wrong. The exclusivity of Christ. See, Jesus is both inclusive and exclusive. He's inclusive in that his, his message and what he did on the cross is available to all people around the world no matter how far we are from God, that he says, I died for you. I died for every person on the planet. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is invited. Everyone will be forgiven if they place their trust in me. It's very inclusive, but it's also very exclusive in that he said there's one way. There's not multiple ways to God. There's one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. 
He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think that's an interesting statement because it makes you pretty countercultural when you believe it and you walk with that. See, it doesn't mean we don't love people who have different beliefs. We do. We actually love people all around the world with different religions and different beliefs and different values. We respect other people's views. But we don't have the right to change the gospel. Water it down. Make it palatable so that the world loves all of us and we fit in and we're all liked. That's not our job. And so just get used to it. Walking with Jesus, believing and trusting in what he said, that's not something Christians say. That's something Jesus said. And so believing him at his word and walking with him sometimes will cost you. But you can trust that God's son is the way to this place called heaven, that God's son is the way and he's the truth, that when we live our life with him, we're living in the truth and we're living a life filled with joy. Philip then chimes in with a question. Philip says, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Philip's problem with Christ is one of familiarity. Philip has been around Jesus. He's seen him uh, working miracles. He's heard him teach. He's demonstrated his power and authority time and time again. And Philip has just become so accustomed with walking with Jesus that something has been lost where he doesn't see, he doesn't get it in his heart that when you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. Christ becomes overly familiar to us sometimes. Maybe you were raised in church and you've been around church a lot and so things just feel very predictable to you and you kind of know the Bible stories and feel like you got that figured out. And, you know, we have to be really, really careful the longer that we uh, engage in Scripture and engage in church because it's very easy for Jesus to lose his majesty, his power, and the awe that he is God. And he is awesome. That's why Jesus says here in verse 9, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He's saying, have you missed the obvious? I've been here with you all this time, and you still can't get it. Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. See, the whole passage of John 14 describes this beautiful relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God himself, working in our lives. What you're going to see in this chapter is a lot of discussion about God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. Jesus said, don't worry, don't be troubled, because when I leave this planet and ascend into heaven, I'm going to send back to you the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, Jesus is saying, trust the Father. Trust me too. Trust the Son. And you can trust the Holy Spirit. You won't be left alone. The Spirit will come. 
and he will dwell in you and he will guide you and he will gift you and he will enable you, empower you, and he will comfort you. And in our day, there's there's some wacky teaching out there, isn't there, on the Holy Spirit? Some of you think the Holy Spirit only comes on Mardi Gras and New Year's Eve, and he's kind of like the freak member of the Godhead who just does all these bizarre and wild things. Some of you grew up in church where you just thought of him as the Holy Ghost because that's what the Old English called him. And so you think he's like a ghost. He kind of comes and he goes and no one knows. And, you know, he does this kind of mysterious work, pops in and pops out. But the Bible clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is a person. You can actually get to know him. You can grieve him. You can resist him. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. You can quench the spirit. He has emotions and he loves you. He has intellect because he knows the mind of Christ He brings good gifts to his children. He convicts the world of sin. He reminds us of all the things that Jesus taught. He regenerates the human soul. He renews the human mind. The Holy Spirit is God. And he is doing the Father's will in the world today. In verse 26, Jesus continues about the Holy Spirit. He says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The word translated in our text, counselor, is the Greek word paraclete. And it has this rich meaning in the ancient world. Its root means one who is called alongside of another. In the ancient world, a paraclete was someone summoned to give assistance in a court of law. It could be translated as comforter. A comforter is one who brings strength to another. The person of the Holy Spirit comes into your life when you receive Christ to bring strength into your life, to encourage you, to empower you, to walk with you, to be the source of support when you're wounded. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you through troubled waters and keep you close to the heart of Jesus. You can trust the Father, you can trust the Son, and you can trust the Holy Spirit because they are God, one God, three persons. In verse 27, Jesus said, peace I leave to you, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do you, do you see how much God loves us that in These final moments of Jesus, he is preparing, at least trying to prepare his disciples for when they will go through hardship, when they will experience grief and loss, when when tragedy hits, when uncertainty hits, when the unknowns are there, when persecution comes against them, when trials overtake their life, that he wanted them to know there's this heaven, this place called heaven, it's real. And Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. We can trust that he, Jesus, is the way to get there. And that he sent his spirit back to this world to live in us. To empower us and teach us and walk with us. God's just reaching out 
this morning saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. Cast your cares on me because I care for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Heaven awaits you. Don't wander through this earth lost. The son has saved you. Don't be afraid. The spirit empowers you. Trust me. That's what God's saying. So what do you do in response to God's love? What do you do? The proof of his love, the power of that pledge, the promise of his person. Well, simple. It's a choice to love him back. It's a choice just to love him back. He made you to love you and for you and me to love him back, to live in a relationship with God, a love relationship. Three times in John 14, in, in verse 15, in verse 21, in verse 23, Jesus states emphatically that if you love him, you will obey him. If you love him, you will keep his commandments. If you love him, you will obey his teachings. See, we don't obey in order to earn his love. It's out of love that obedience springs. And he loved you first. First John four nineteen says, we love because he first loved us. The only reason I love God is because he pledged his love to me first. He came to me. He initiated the relationship. He provided the way. And I obey because he loves me. Not in order to get him to love me. And that's the difference between legalistic religion and a grace-based relationship. It makes all the difference in the world. Grace. Grace does not mean that I ignore the commands of Christ. And, uh, and that I just do my own thing and kind of then slap a quick forgiveness prayer on it. See, that is delusional. That is preposterous. People who claim to be Christians yet do their own thing without regard to what Jesus taught or commanded do not love Jesus. Period. End of story. Grace is powerful. It's powerful. If you've encountered the love of God in your life, you will not leave that encounter the same. Because when God's love, when you get it, I mean, he's given it. It's when we understand it, when we get it, when we receive it, it triggers something in you of such gratitude and appreciation, such awe of who God is, that it leads you to repentance. His grace empowers me and motivates me to want to do everything that Jesus commanded. Why? Because I have to? No, because I get to. I don't have to read the Bible. I get to. I don't have to go to church. I get to. I don't have to give. I get to. I don't have to be in a life group. I get to be in community with other believers. I don't have to share my faith. I want to. See, those who are motivated out of love will sacrifice far more than those motivated out of obligation. Those who are motivated out of love will obey and go further than those who only do it in order uh, to meet an obligation. Ask any parent. God's love poured out in our heart through the Spirit. If you know who the Lord Jesus is and you know the love that he has for you, then you'll see that most clearly on the cross. When we look at the cross and we look at what Jesus did, not only did he wash the disciples' feet, 
but he endured the shame and the scorning and the beating of the cross to go to die in our place, to let all of the world's sin fall on him that we could be made right with God. That changes your life when you see that, when you embrace that. Where we're not overly familiar with Jesus, but we rightly discern who he is, that he is God and he loves us. Love changes everything. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and um, lead us in a song and invite us this morning to receive that love, the love that the Father has for us. Because I'm convinced that the love of God changes everything in our life. It's His love. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. Maybe you're in one of those seasons of life that require this extraordinary amount of trust in your life today. And I want to invite you. I want to invite you to receive His love. As we sing this song, let God love you. Love Him back. And let Him make the difference. Because as we are in this love relationship with Jesus, with the Father, with the Spirit, that we're able to go through anything, anything at all. Would you stand and worship with me? I'll be back up to close us in prayer.